I'm Tabby Smiley, and we are delighted to have you listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. I've been looking forward to this hour, and I am delighted uh, to uh, have a special guest in this hour. One of the most important struggles of the civil rights movement occurred in Lowndes County, Alabama. Interestingly, the issues in Lowndes County then reflect large issues in America today, most primarily the systemic neglect of marginalized communities. I am pleased to have a conversation with my dear friend and brother, a noted public intellectual and scholar, Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries, uh, who also just happens to be the brother of House Minority Leader, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, the first African-American to lead either party in either House of Congress. Uh, Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries, how are you today, my friend? I'm doing wonderful. It's great to be with you, Tavis. It's good to hear your voice again, man. It's been too long. Last time I saw you, I think we were in uh, in in uh, Memphis at the Memphis, Civil Tennessee. Rights Museum. We were in Memphis, yeah. Tennessee. Last time absolutely, I absolutely absolutely last time I saw your handsome visage. So it's good to, <laughs> good to have you uh, <laughs> on our program. Let, let me start with this and get it out of the way. And I say that not uh, dismissively because uh, I'm sure you get this all the time. But I was saying to our audience before you came on. Uh, that yesterday uh, I did a tribute to my now uh, dearly departed friend and brother, Randall Robinson, who, as you know, founded Trans-Africa Forum. And Randall was um, uh, a dear friend and, and, and brother to me, and we traveled the world together. Uh, I, uh, with Randall, as part of any number of delegations to Cuba and to the Vatican and to Venezuela and to Haiti and parts around the world. Wow. Um, so I did a, did a tribute to Randall yesterday, and I, I, I underscored for the audience um, how I used to just probe Randall all the time, what it was like growing up in Jim Crow, Richmond, Virginia, with a brother named Max. And I wanted to know about Max, given what I do for a living, because as you know, Max was the first, Max Robinson, Randall's brother, was the first African-American to anchor a network news program back in the day. His right. brother, Max Robinson, right. was the anchor on ABC World News Tonight. And uh, Randall, one of the first... Uh, black folk to graduate from the Harvard Law School, founds Trans-Africa Forum, Mandela, where you're here now, would tell you he'd still be in prison if it had not been for Randall's leadership uh, and a hunger strike and beyond on the issue of apartheid, forcing America to take a stand. Uh, and Mandela was forever uh, grateful to uh, Randall and said that many times publicly when he was released from prison after 27 years. I, I raised all that because I was just, I'm always just fascinated how these two brothers in Jim Crow, Richmond, Virginia, grow up to be iconic in their own right. And the same could be said of the Jeffries brothers. Here you are, a distinguished <laughs> scholar, public intellectual, and your brother, Hakeem, is now, as I said, the first African-American uh, to lead either party in either house. Obviously, you're proud of him, but uh, let's talk about that for a second. I promise we'll get to your work, so forgive me if the, if the, if yeah. the question troubles you, but I'm just proud of your brother as I am of you. No, no, tr no, 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 no trouble at all. I, I, I am, I am equally proud of uh, of all that he has uh, accomplished and and what he's what he's setting out to do. Um, as as he likes to say when I, when I call him or text him, uh, and and he doesn't get back to me immediately, I'm like, yo, what's going on? He's like, I, I'm trying to save the republic, brother. I, I'm busy. <laughs> so no, he's, he's about he's about the people's business. So I I, I can appreciate that. Um, you know, we, we grew up, we grew up not in, not in, not in, uh, the Jim Crow era, mm -hmm. um, but in the post-civil rights, post-black power era, sure. in Brooklyn, New York in, in the seventies and eighties. So we had, we, we wrestled with issues that were an extension of issues that brothers and sisters had to deal with during the Jim Crow era. 
manifested in the in the Jim Crow North. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is the era of the, the rise of mass incarceration and the war on drugs and deindustrialization and the Reagan era. Um, and but we grew up with um, two parents, a mom and dad, both of whom were social workers. Mm. And that, and that they they told us Tavis as, as we were coming of age that it didn't really matter. They would support whatever it is that we chose to do in terms of our career. But they said, whatever it is that you choose to do, you need to do it after you graduate from college and get advanced degrees. That was one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then they said, the the, the second thing is, it has to be done in service to the people. Mm. Um, That was was a point of emphasis. It has to be done in service to the people. Uh, And my brother has chosen, Hakeem has chosen to go into... Uh, electoral politics, and, and, and I chose to go into education uh, and defining education, higher education in the classroom as being more than just the four walls of a school building. Mm. Uh, and so we, we hope we've done, our, our parents are still alive, getting, getting a little older, um, still alive, though, hang, hanging in there. And, and we just, we, we appreciate what they invested in us um, in, in terms of, uh, of resources uh, but really, in terms of that commitment to to, to service and mm. to and to servant leadership, mm. is it just you and Hakeem? Yeah, it's just the two of us. Okay. Uh, you know, I liked uh, Hakeem. Hakeem said that you know he, he liked to say, "Well, you know, uh, you know, he was the firstborn." I was like, "Yeah," and they ain't get it right, so they had to get another one. <laughs> and after me, they were like, "Yeah, we're good. We're yeah. good. You got it. You got it." <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I have teased my parents uh, similarly. I'm I'm the firstborn. I said, and I have nine brothers and sisters. I said, y- y- y'all had y'all had perfection the first time around. You did nine other times, and, and, and you couldn't repeat it. So I teased my <laughs> I, I teased my parents uh, in, in the same sort of way. Uh, number one, number two, uh, you made me feel much better with your first comment. I am happy to know that I'm not the only person who Hakeem Jeffries takes a while to return their text messages. So <laughs> and he, I, I'm, le- I'm leaning on my, my Kappa Alpha Psi shield. He's my fraternity brother. I'm leaning yeah. on that. Hakeem and I have been going back and forth trying to get him scheduled on this show, and I know he's busy. Uh, we've not got him locked down yet, but they, they keep telling me they're, they're, they're going to make it happen, and it just hasn't happened yet. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to the go. day when he gets on the show. We can we can talk to him, but I'll, I'll take his... Um, uh, his, his his brother today, uh, who's a, who's an awfully good stand in in his own right. Uh, but the other thing I want other thing I want to come back to before we get into into your work in Lowndes County, we got a whole yeah. hour, we got an hour here, so we got time. But I want to come back to this because it's it, it's it's terribly important here. Back to Randall Robinson, I played a clip of Randall on stage mm-hmm. at our State of the Black Union symposium here in L.A. back in two thousand nine, twelve weeks after Obama was elected. And mm. I asked Randall his take on the election of Obama and what he thought that meant. He was on the stage with Cornell West and Al Sharpton and Julianne Malveaux, just a stage full of brilliant minds like yourself. Uh, and, and Randall Robinson, I played that clip yesterday, powerful. People have been responding to it uh, since yesterday. Uh, he unpacked a lot in his answer to that question, but he went farther than the Obama thing. And he made the point that what we have to be about, this is back in 2009, Randall said what we have to be about in our community now more than ever is rigorous scholarship. Mm. Rigorous scholarship. That phrase just I I can still hear it from yesterday on that clip. Rigorous scholarship. Here you come now telling me that both of your parents, you and Akeem's parents, still living, thank God for Jesus, um, are still living are were were, were, were social workers. Um, and they insisted on two things that you get advanced degrees, which you did, 
Uh, and secondly, that whatever you do would be in service to the people, which you are doing every single day. Um, tell me just a bit more about your parents and their focus on both of their yeah. boys uh, engaging in rigorous scholarship. So we had not only so we were raised by a lot of people, right? The village. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had my, my, my parents, um, certainly as, as social workers who had a commitment to, you know, to serving people, serving people, but also to social justice. Mm-hmm. Um, they had their different perspectives. My father was very much within that sort of black nationalist tradition. Mm-hmm. My mother was, she had us in, in church on Sundays and Sunday evenings and Wednesdays, or every Sunday school. <laughs> I mean, so we had, we had that, you know, Cornerstone Baptist Church in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn, New York, oh, uh, yeah. Sandy F. Ray. I mean, that was, that was, our, that was our sort of, uh, Religious ground. They don't. They don't. And they don't. Let me. Had, let me just cut in. They don't get yeah. any better than Sandy Ray. Um, there we go. I was. Ju- go. I was just listening. Uh, quick. Quick introduction. Uh, inter- interjection. Yes. And forgive me. I was just listening the other day to one of my favorite sermons, and it is the eulogy of Sandy Ray mm-hmm. given by the late great Gardner Taylor. Gardner Taylor. Taylor gave yeah. the eulogy at the funeral of Sandy Ray. Wow. It is one of the most powerful, it's a eulogy, but one of the most powerful sermons I have ever heard. I was just listening to that the other day. When you mentioned the church, I said, oh, Lord, Sandy Ray. So mm-hmm. I, 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 know, mm-hmm. I know what y'all are getting every Sunday. There it is. Yeah. And so it's, it's funny, Tavis, because folks talk about, you know, you know uh, uh, Hakeem and his, you know, oratorical gifts. I'll mm-hmm. give it to him, right? I mean, yeah. you know, he's, he's, good, he's good with the microphone. And, you know, it's not just, you know, that we grew up in the hip-hop era. Mm-hmm. It's that we grew up baptized by Sandy F. Ray. We mm. grew up going to church and mm. listening to those, you know, uh, and Sandy F. Ray's successor, which was Harry, uh, Harry S. Wright, the brother of, of Marion Wright Edelman. That's right. And so, I mean, that that is part of our, um, you know, education. Uh, we had a grandmother uh, who, uh, Francis Cephas Nano, who, who has since passed on. But I, I tell you, one of the things, just think about this, Tavis. Here's a woman who grew up in, in Jim Crow, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And when she passed on, was, was instrumental in raising us, passed on when we were both out of college, um, my aunt, you know, gave me a box of books. She said, a son, Nano, what we call it Nano, said, mm-hmm. left this for you, right? And years later, and, she, and I opened it, and what is it? It's a copy of Roots. It's a copy of Lerone Bennett. Mm. Um, they, they came out uh, before the Mayflower. Yes. And it was all history works. And this is before I'm just starting out as a graduate student. She said, she wanted you to have this. Mm. And she had been imparting that knowledge into us all along. And then I, I think finally the, the final piece of the puzzle, and, and can't go ignore it, is that our uncle, my father's brother, was just Hakeem and I as two, as two youngsters, and then my father and his brother is Dr. Leonard Jeffries. Oh, Jr., yes, yes, uh, yes. Who was yes. one of the founders of Black Studies and, mm-hmm. so, uh, and the head of Black Studies at City College. So we grew up, you know, with the church, we grew up with my father's sense of black nationalism, but then we also grew up on Saturdays, Tavis, having, rather than looking at cartoons and playing baseball and shooting hoops in the backyard, which we wanted to do, yeah. you know, hopping on a train from Brooklyn up to Harlem to go listen to John Henry Clark, to Ooh. go listen to Dr. Ben, to Man. go listen uh, to Asa <laughs> Hilliard, to go listen to Naeem Akbar, right? Yeah. As, as, ten, as 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds. So, by default, we were being infused with this important knowledge about the power of not just education, but, you know, history that is useful, not the useless stuff, but 
the historical past, whether we're talking about the ancient Nile Valley civilizations or West African civilization or West African culture and community, or even the black experience, that there are elements in the past that help us understand and make sense of the present so that we can build a better future for tomorrow. Man, that uh, I'm so glad I asked that question. Didn't know what was coming. Uh, but that response just gave me goosebumps. Um, all that you were exposed to, uh, Lord, Sandy F. Ray, <laughs> Leonard Jeffries, <laughs> John Henry Clark, <laughs> Dr. Ben. Uh, it, we were blessed. Yeah, man. It's no, uh, let me put it this way. You and Hakeem didn't have a choice. Y'all had to succeed. <laughs> with, 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 with all of that being poured into the two of you, uh, you two young right. black brothers, with all that being poured into you, it's no wonder that you two have uh, turned out the way you have and, uh, again, uh, have engaged rigorous scholarship, got those advanced degrees, and, and of course, are, are loving. Uh, you said serving. I would add to that, loving and serving our people because, for me, that's what leadership is. I say all the time, you can't lead our folk if you don't love our folk, and you can't save our folk if you don't serve our folk. So leadership then is about loving and serving people. And his brother, Hakeem Jeffries, is doing it as minority leader in the House, and he's doing it as a noted public intellectual and scholar. And I'm going to go straight away now into his scholarship, which is the reason why I ask him on. All this other stuff is just, I'm just laying a foundation here, but it's so rich. Uh, I didn't want to m miss the opportunity to just probe uh, into the backstory of how and why Hassan and Hakeem have so distinguished themselves, not unlike Randall and Max Robinson, who we discussed yesterday. More with Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Take the A train. Let's unpack a little bit more with Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries. Um, and I'm delighted to have him on in this hour. I said at the top of this hour that um, uh, one of the most important struggles in the civil rights movement occurred in rural uh, Lowndes County, Alabama. I made the point, which is really Dr. Jeffries' point, uh, that uh, the issues uh, in Lowndes County then are, are really uh, prevalent and being wrestled with today. Uh, and what an irony that is. So I don't want to color uh, this conversation much more than that. I want to pass the microphone to Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries, uh, a powerful and provocative piece he recently wrote uh, about this issue in Lowndes County then and now. And I'll give him some time here to unpack it, and then I'll, I'll interrogate your unpacking, Dr. Jeffries. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, you know, most people don't even, or most people may not even be familiar with so even where Lowndes County is. Mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's a Lowndes County, South Carolina, Lowndes County, Georgia, Lowndes County, Alabama. Lowndes was an old sort of colonial name, or white settler. So as they moved west from South Carolina, they named all these different Lowndes counties. But Lowndes County, Alabama is situated between Montgomery and Selma. Montgomery, the capital of, uh, of the state of Alabama, of course, and Selma, the capital of the old plantation economy in Alabama, the plantation of the old Black Belt. And at the start of 1965, in Lowndes County, Alabama, so this is a majority Black county, 80% Black, at the start of 1965, there are zero registered Black voters, right? Not just like a handful, not a couple, not a small number, none. Political exclusion was absolute. Zero registered Black voters out of a possible, of a possible 5,122. But by the end, this is January 65, but by the end of the next year, not only had African Americans succeeded in registering as a majority of the voters in that county because of a partnership between local activists, local people, first-time activists, and student nonviolent coordinating committee organizers like Sophie Carmichael, 
they form a coalition that, that they, they not only are able to succeed in registering the majority of African Americans, but they create this radically democratic, independent political party that happens to be the first Black Panther party, choosing a Black Panther as its ballot symbol. And that, to me, that journey of how do they go from zero registered voters, not only to registering the majority, mm. but to creating this small D Democratic Party in which you had somebody, Tavis, you had a sister by the name of Alice Moore who's 42 years old. This is what I mean by small D Democratic mm -hmm. and why there's so many lessons there for us to learn. 42 years old, and she chooses to run for tax assessor. So they run seven candidates for local office. They're going to take over the county courthouse. They said, that, you know, we could do more if we control the county courthouse than we do if we can control the state house or even the White House right now. And so she runs for tax assessor because the tax assessor determines Obviously, the tax, the tax rate, how much people are paying on their taxes. Mm -hmm. And white landowners were being undertaxed. Black landowners were being overtaxed. So her platform, this was her platform, 1966, 42 years old, you know, mother, activist, landowner. Her platform is tax the rich to feed the poor. Mm. That was it. That's the whole platform, <laughs> right? Mm. She would get up. They would have these rallies. They were like, now we're going to hear from Alice Moore. She would go up <laughs> to the front of the church, say, tax the rich to feed the poor, and she'd sit down. <laughs> that was it. And, and, you know, she wasn't reading, you know, the great philosophers. That, you know, she wasn't reading, you know, engaged in these high-level intellectual conversations and discussions that we think about occurring in elite universities and when you come out with these, you know, philosophies of, of, of capitalism and the like. This was born of her experience. She saw that this is what we got to do, and this is what we should be doing. And I mean, and, and that you know is what I was so deeply interested in exploring and trying to figure out. Well, what are the lessons? Where did this come from? To say nothing of the fact that this is the place not only that gives us the first Black Panther Party, but this is the place that gives us Black Power. Mm. Literally, the slogan that is coined by Stokely Carmichael, introduced during the James Meredith march is born in this county and because they're using that slogan to reference the kind of political, the kind of new kind of politics that they're developing there on the ground. Mm -hmm. I want to uh, let you unpack some of the lessons that we can learn and take away from this all these years later. Uh, but let me start with uh, the exact opposite, which is what the example of Lowndes County then says to you, or put another way, how you might situate in real time in late modernity the issue of voter suppression all across America. Yeah. Well, when we go back, you know, 50 years or coming up on 60 years uh, uh, now to that moment, right? I mean, the 100 years after emancipation, you know, the, every, every state in the former Confederacy between, 19, between uh, 1890 and, and 1910 rewrote their state constitutions for the sole purpose of disenfranchising African-Americans. Mm. Now, because of the 15th Amendment, they couldn't, as you know, they couldn't reference race, so they come up with these literacy tests and poll taxes, mm -hmm. but they were all clear. This is like the first colorblind legislation, right? Mm. They can't mention race, but in their arguments, in their deliberations, they are quite clear, the record states. You know, they're like, the reason why we're doing this is because we don't want Negroes to vote. And so what we see in the first two-thirds of the 20th century is expressed efforts around voter exclusion, wholesale exclusion. But once you have those victories coming out of the South, in Selma, in Lowndes County, and the like, 
and securing putting the ballot back in the hands of African Americans, a reenfranchisement from the era of Reconstruction, then it's no longer about, and this is the moving into the, you know, the, the contemporary moment, mm-hmm. they, they, you know, those who are opposed to expanding the franchise, and now we're talking about political conservatives who have been operating in that space for the last 50 years and before, now formerly in the Democratic Party, now in the Republican Party, they understand and realize that it's impossible to disenfranchise the entire group. Mm. But, it's, but they don't need to anymore. They don't need to disenfranchise all African Americans like they once did before. They just have to make it difficult for 10,000 in Georgia, 20,000 in Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. 40,000 in Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. 60,000 in Florida, make it harder, if not impossible, for them to participate in the electoral process to win major elections. And so you're absolutely right. Voter suppression is the watchword of the day. And we think, you know, we got people on the Supreme Court. You know, John Roberts is like, well, more black people are voting now than they ever did. Like, yeah, that's true. But that doesn't mean that it's possible for everybody to exactly. vote, for <laughs> yeah. everyone to have access. And that's the point, yeah. right? It's, it, it's the picking off of, you know, these small numbers that can make a big difference. Yeah, I was, I was offended to my core when he made that comment that more black folk have voted than ever before. Of course we are. What's that? What's that got to the price tea in China? As they say, that has nothing to do with the point, <laughs> which is that not everybody, exactly. not everybody, has their right to vote protected. That's the problem, Mr. Chief Justice. And I, I right. couldn't. I, I mean, I'm not naive about how racism and white supremacy works, but I was just dumbfounded when he made that comment, as if that was the mm-hmm. issue. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about everybody, again, having their right to vote protected. When we come forward after news, traffic, and sports, with our guest, Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries, we'll continue talking about Lowndes County back in the day and the takeaways all these years later, particularly the lessons that we can learn from what he's already teed up. We'll jump right into it when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. We are for everybody, and that includes you. I'm Tavis Smiley. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580. Our guest in this hour is Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries, and uh, we are being empowered uh, by this rich conversation. He uh, graduated Morehouse College. Uh, has his Ph.D. Uh, in American history with a specialization in African-American history from Duke University, uh, is now an associate professor in the Department of History at the Ohio State University. You don't say the, you get cussed out these these days. So <laughs> the Ohio State University. Uh, and he's collaborated on any number of uh, public history projects, including, as I mentioned at the top of our conversation, the last time we saw each other, we were inside the Civil Rights Museum uh, at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, he served as the lead scholar and primary scriptwriter for the $27 million renovation and redesign of the National Civil Rights Museum at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, the site of the assassination of the person I regard as the greatest American this country's ever produced, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I wonder if I can pivot for a second, Dr. Jeffries, and have you say a word um, in retrospect now about um, how I'm sure honored and humbled you were to get that project. Uh, and what you make of the work you were able to do in the National Civil Rights Museum. Yeah, honored and humbled is is exactly it. Um, it was a great honor to be able to um, share some insights and, and be in conversation and uh, with so many scholars, because it's not just, you, 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 you don't get to tell the history of the Civil Rights Museum at a sacred site like the, the Rain Motel by yourself. Mm-hmm. And so it was a, it was a partnership a collaboration with scholars that I was able to sort of draw on their expertise uh, and then and, and then really be able to 
you know, to put it into words. I mean, the, the amazing interactive exhibitions that are there, we sort of allow to walk through history. We don't begin in 1955. We begin on the continent of Africa. Yes. Uh, when you walk in and establishing sort of the cultural competencies of the of African people, we introduce we you know black humanity and not just black people in chains, and then taking us all the way through this this struggle uh, into you know into, to that moment where where King loses his life. Um, you know, to 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 it, it was a multi year project. Uh, and so it took some time, but it continues just to really reverberate when I when I get messages from students and people who I didn't know who who wind up going through, mm. and they're like, "Wow, we, we've learned so much." So it really was uh, a, a, a highlight uh, to be a, to say the least of, of of the public history work I've been able to do. Yep. If you've not been to the National Civil Rights Museum at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, I encourage you to go. I never go to Memphis without going by there. And for me, it's just a matter of paying homage to Dr. King at the site of his assassination. But when you walk inside that facility, this almost $30 million renovation uh, of which, uh, again, uh, on which Dr. Jeffries was the lead scholar and primary script writer, um, you will be impressed. Uh, but more than impressed, you'll be empowered, uh, inspired mm. uh, by what you're going to witness. So again, uh, this summer, uh, put on put it on your schedule. Uh, take the kids. Take some time. Go to Memphis, and visit the National Civil Rights Museum and see the work of this brilliant scholar, Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries. Speaking of rigorous scholarship, we were talking earlier about that. Um, you have been known for saying uh, that what you teach is what you call hard history. You teach mm. what you call hard history. I want to ask um, about that in light of the fact. Um, that whether you call it hard history or just call it the truth, as you well know, yeah. It, yeah. it's all under attack right about now. But as one who, who teaches this hard history uh, every day, what do you make of this moment that we find ourselves in? Well, by hard history, I, I really mean those aspects of our past, our collective past, that make us uncomfortable in the present. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, 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 a friend, uh, Reggie Gibson, is a, is a literary performer out of the Boston area, um, and he and and he has said that Americans, as Americans, we actually hate history. He said we hate history. Mm. He said what we love is nostalgia. Ooh. He said we love stories about the past that make us feel comfortable in the present. And so, as educators, we have to get away from the the, the Disneyfication of the past mm. and deal with those aspects that make us uncomfortable because that's where the learning is, right? Like, they, 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 of course, studying the institution of slavery and white supremacy. Is difficult. It's hard to talk about. It's hard to comprehend the, 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 the racial violence and terrorism that undergird the institution of slavery, the violence that undergird slavery, the violence that undergird Jim Crow, the violence that undergird mass incarceration, the war on drugs. Like these are the difficult aspects of our past, but we cannot make sense of the present unless we understand the past. Mm. Now, so, so, so my job as an educator, whether you know, we're, we're crafting exhibits or we're talking to students in the classroom is to make sure that they understand the realities of the American experience as they have the truth, as you said. I mean, those who are, you know, those of us who are, are, are literally on the right side of history because we're, we're, we're teaching history as it happened, not this fictionalized version of the past, are coming under attack because the students that we're engaging and the young people that we're engaging, as many hits as they may take from, from, from us sometimes, of older generations, this is the most active that we've seen in generations. Mm -hmm. And they're demanding some change. I mean, we just 
Travis, as you know, I mean, the summer of 2020, these were the largest mass protests in American history. Oh, yeah. And they were, le- and they were led by young people, multiracial, multiethnic. And so, what so that's what the great fear, that's the pushback. It's not just that students will learn this history, that they will accept the historical truth of the past, is that once they accept it, they will move from acceptance to action. And they're demanding change. And that's why um, you're seeing this just visceral pushback, because there are people who benefit from the preservation of the status quo, and there are young people who are dissatisfied as well. They should be. We all should be with the status quo and saying we got to change something. This is that, this was, you know, the one thing that was so different, somebody who studied the civil rights movement, people said, well, what's different between now and, 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 and 50, 60 years ago? And I said, what's unique is the call for an end to systemic racism, mm. not by black people. Black people have understood that we're dealing with systems <laughs> and structures, right? Black power was an articulation, a critique of systems and structures. But this is the first time we heard white people picking up that mm-hmm. call too, mm-hmm. right? Saying, no, we got to end systemic racism. We got to change our systems and structures, change the justice system, change the economy, change the way in which we're dealing with the climate. And that shook political conservatives to the core because the only response to a demand to end systemic racism is to change systems and structures. And they benefit from the existing systems and structures that, per- that, that perpetuate inequality. So they're doubled down was, no, we're not going to change anything. But to rationalize their inaction, mm. they had to say that racism wasn't real. Mm. They had to say that systemic racism wasn't real. And to do that, that's when we get this whole anti-critical race theory, because they don't want us talking about the realities of the past and present, because it will continue to animate and activate young people, especially little Kylie and little Brian, who are living out in the white suburbs, they go home telling their mamas, we got to do something about systemic racism. And then that really rattled. That really rattled his white folks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that rattles it more than kids being killed in Nashville. And I, I, I don't say that. Oh, uh, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I don't say that. Uh, and not lightly. I know you don't say yeah, that lightly. You I don't, don't say, say that lightly. lightly yeah, but it man. does. Yeah, it, it does. does. It rattles them a great deal more. Uh, I love talking to, 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 to scholars. Um, I love talking to persons like Hassan Kwame Jeffries, who are much smarter than I am. Because I, I learned something. It makes me think every time I'm in one of these conversations. I'm just taking notes here furiously, um, quoting, of course, his colleague. But Americans love nostalgia. We hate history. Never quite thought of it that mm. way. We love nostalgia. Mm-hmm. We hate history. And then uh, uh, I was laughing because I was just with, uh, with our friend and brother, um, Cornell West, a week or two ago, uh, Hassan. Uh, Dr. West was here in town. <clears throat> we were together for a little bit. And he is fond of talking about what he calls the Santa Clausification of Dr. King, the Santa, mm-hmm. the Santa Clausification mm-hmm. of Nelson Mandela. I ain't got to unpack that mm-hmm. for you. And here you come now with yeah. the, with the Disneyfication of uh, mm-hmm. of, uh, of 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 the way we uh, approach uh, these hard uh, history lessons. And so I, I just love the, the 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 framework, love the nomenclature, love that it's making me think. Uh, when we come forward, I want to turn our attention right back to Lowndes County, Alabama, uh, where we started this conversation today and the lessons to learn. Uh, from uh, this unique and iconic place uh, in um, one of the most racist states in the nation, Alabama. Uh, What is it to learn from this space between Montgomery and Selma all these years later and what they accomplished then? Our guest, Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries, who you're listening to right now on KBLA Talk 1580. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where everybody is somebody and nobody is a stranger. You belong here. 
You do indeed belong here, and I'm glad to have you here as we continue our conversation in this hour with our guest, Dr. Asan Kwame Jeffries, a uh, brilliant scholar at the uh, the Ohio State University. And we've been talking about Lowndes County, Alabama, uh, and what happened uh, in Lowndes County back in the day, uh, how black power, uh, the slogan itself, was created in this space by one uh, Stokely Carmichael, uh, located between uh, Montgomery and Selma, in, in that area uh, of Alabama, uh, we're talking about some of the lessons that we can learn all these years later from what they were able to pull off uh, and do uh, successfully in Lowndes County, Alabama. So uh, to Dr. Jeffries, I go right now uh, to unpack some of the lessons that we can learn from mm. Lowndes County, Alabama. Well, I think one of the important lessons that, that comes out of the, the freedom struggle in Lowndes is that when thinking about engaging ordinary, everyday people in politics, the focus should not be exclusively on voter mobilization. Mm. We've gotten very good at mobilizing people. We've gotten very good at, 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 at registering people, getting people to the polls. But the movement wasn't just about turning out the vote. The movement was about, wasn't just about voter mobilization. It was, it was very much about voter education. Mm -hmm. and, and this is critically important because you're not only talking about creating an, an educated electorate, but what do you do after the ballot is cast? The voter education component is what keeps people engaged. The voter education component is also what, what keeps elected officials accountable uh, to the people. And so we've shifted, we, we've gotten away a little bit too much from the voter education, which was so central, right? And, and I'm just not talking about you know, sort of the citizenship schools and, and, and training people how to register to vote that are pioneered by, by, by such freedom activists like September Clark, mm -hmm. but talking about the political education workshops in Lowndes County, they're like, look, we're going to create these political education workshops where we're training ordinary folk, folk who had a sixth grade education. They're using cartoon storybooks to talk about the duties of sheriff and coroner and tax assessor and tax collector and board of education, not only so that they would be informed voters, not only so that they would hold elected officials accountable, but so that they themselves mm -hmm. would want to run and hold office themselves. So voter education is critical. We got to get back into that and in informing, you know, creating an informed electorate. I also think it's important to think about, and one of the lessons that comes out of Lowndes County is how we prioritize things. Right? In Lowndes, what was most interesting about the political party that they create, the Lowndes County Freedom Organization, is they create a party. They create a platform, and they have no candidates because, in a very real sense, the candidates were irrelevant because it was some, they were like, somebody's going to step forward. But whoever steps forward is going to be beholden to the people and the interests of the people and the platform of the people. This wasn't about charismatic individuals. This was about meeting and fulfilling the needs of the people and electing somebody who was concerned more about the people than about staying in office themselves. So setting aside the personal interests of politicians as well as the political concerns of parties was paramount in what we saw in this local, in this local grassroots movement in Lyles County, Alabama. Mm. And then I think, I think, I think this, uh, another core lesson that comes out, Tavis, is this idea of expanding the electorate. Because mm -hmm. we talked about this a little bit earlier, and, 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 and as you mentioned, these efforts around voter suppression, you know, it doesn't, it really shouldn't matter what your political party affiliation is when it comes to where you should stand on democracy. Mm. Right? Now, now, of course, our democracy is under assault. 
I mean, the, the Republican Party is now beholden to this, 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 this cult of personality revolving around Donald Trump. But the question of whether we should be expanding or contracting the electorate should not be a partisan issue. Mm. If you truly believe in democracy, you should be doing everything in your power to be making it easier for people to vote and not making it harder for people to vote. But we understand that it is the policy, expressed policy position of the Republican Party right now to make it harder for people to exercise the franchise. And I think that's deeply troubling. Yeah. And it's fundamentally anti-democratic. Uh, amen to that. Uh, no disagreement uh, with me or with this audience, I suspect, on that on that final point. Um, speaking of final points, when we come forward in our final moments with uh, Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries, he mentioned boards of education a moment ago. And I want to come back to this because uh, to his point about politics, uh, the one thing Republicans understand is why it is important at the local level. We're talking about Lowndes County, the local level. Right. And the lessons to learn from that. Republicans these days are stacking these school boards. They are stacking these school boards. What's that all about? Uh, we'll get uh, his take on that when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. The tide. Conversations that matter. matter. You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Uh, our remaining moments here with Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries. About uh, four minutes left in this conversation. Um, we talk all the time, as you know, Hassan, about the president and about uh, governor's races and mayor races and uh, we're celebrating Karen Bass's election here in L.A. where this station is flagship, the first black woman, second black to be mayor of this city. Uh, we talk about people like your brother, the minority leader, Hakeem Jeffries. What we don't spend a lot of time talking about, we on the left don't, but the right is spending all their time stacking these local uh, school boards. They are concerned more and more about these local elections. I'm bringing that into this conversation for obvious reasons. We've been talking about Lowndes County at the local level, all they did in Alabama, and what we can take away from that. Uh, that leads me to ask, what do you make of the focus, the laser focus that the right now has on putting their people on school boards all across this country? Hassan, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There you go. The, 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 the the, the the right understands that education is fundamentally local. Mm -hmm. um, the right understands that we have decentralized education systems. The right also understands what Carter G. Woodson pointed out to us over almost a century ago in the miseducation of the Negro, that if you control a person's thinking, you do not have to worry about their actions. And so gaining control of school boards and curriculum is set really at the district level, at the local level, at the school board level. And it's about what is not, not only what do you teach in a classroom, but what you don't teach. Mm -hmm. And so we're in this moment about creating these barriers and, 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 and blocks that are limiting the actual teaching of historical truth and reality. And if you're able to do that, if you're able to limit what people learn, then they will be open to everything and anything. And I think that is what, that's what the stakes are. And that's why we have this focus on the school boards. And it's, and, and, and it's an easy catch because you don't need to do a lot to win these elections mm -hmm. at the local school board level because you don't need a lot of votes. But we're seeing a real investment in there. And so we have to catch up. We, we were playing catch up with the federal courts and the judiciary, and we fell behind on that progressive. We got to catch up with these local elections for school board. Uh, otherwise, we will lose a generation of young people, and we can't afford to do that. Yeah. He has chronicled the civil rights movement in uh, the 10-episode Audible Originals series, Great Figures of the Civil Rights Movement. He has told the remarkable story of the original Black Panther Party in Bloody Lounds, 
Civil Rights and Black Power in Alabama's Black Belt, which has been praised as the book that historians of the black freedom movement have been waiting for. They now have it. Brilliant public intellectual, a renowned scholar teaching at the Ohio State University uh, in Columbus, Ohio. And what an honor it has been uh, to uh, once again in a public forum, engage in dialogue with our friend and brother, Dr. Hassan Kwame Jeffries. Hassan, I enjoyed this immensely. Uh, you put so much on our minds to think about. I'm going to spend the rest of the day wrestling with that that notion uh, that Americans love nostalgia, but we hate history. I'm glad you brought that to our attention today. Uh, we'll noodle on that in the meantime. Uh, but good to talk to you. We'll do it again down the road somewhere, I promise. Absolutely. Great day for being in conversation, Tavis. Man, I enjoyed it immensely. You know that. We'll do it again. Hour three of Tavis Smiley. After news, traffic, and sports, you're listening to KBLA Talk.